It's Twin Bills, the Red Sox podcast from the sports department of the Providence Journal, featuring Red Sox beat writer Bill Koch, along with sports editor Bill Corey. Now, Twin Bills. Hello and welcome to this week's Twin Bills Red Sox podcast. This is Bill Corey, sports editor of the Providence Journal. With me is Red Sox beat writer Bill Koch. Bill, how you doing? Bill, I'm wonderful. How are you? Good. Uh, um, so uh, the Red Sox are kind of clawing their way or clawing their way um, back to um, mediocrity, I guess. <laughs> Approaching mediocrity, right? Yes. They're, they're uh, yes. Uh, I want to say eleven and fifteen. I think that's and, correct. Uh, getting back to uh, getting back to level here uh, at five hundred. Um, hopefully, if you're a Red Sox fan, that'll happen within the next week or so. Uh, but there have been some positive signs over the last few days. Uh, they've uh, won, I want to say, five of their last seven games. Correct. Uh, they had a nice uh, road trip down in Tampa Bay. They swept the first place Rays. They came back and laid a clunker in that uh, day-night doubleheader against the Tigers, but then bounced mm. back to win the last two to split the series. Uh, and among some of the emerging... Um, uh, trending up kind of uh, situations is uh, the the bats are coming back alive, particularly Mookie Betts and Andrew Benintendi, who sort of got off to kind of a slow start and are kind of making up for it here. You're seeing them start to do things that they did last year. Uh, they've strung some good starts together from their pitching staff. Uh, their offense has pretty steadily had guys on base here, uh, starting with the three-game series in Tampa, particularly the Sunday game on Easter. I know that they stranded nine guys, but that also means that they had that many guys on base. Mm-hmm. Uh, against Detroit the other night, I think they stranded 13 in, in the night half of the day-night doubleheader, which also means that you have guys on base, and I think you saw Boston produce the next two nights in, in an 11-4 win and then a 7-3 win. The last two nights against the Tigers – Felt a little bit like last season. And I think it, it took Boston three weeks to sort of get to that point. Mm. I think they're in a spot right now where we could see them take off here. Well, uh, it, it's a good spot to be in because they're home for qu- quite a while here. They're on a, uh, what is it, 10 or 11 game homestand? 10 game homestand. They've had uh, four with the Tigers, yep. three with the Rays, and then three with Oakland, who comes in. Right. Um, and. Uh, they've had a couple of other people in the lineup who have been kind of steady, namely J.D. Martinez, who's been pretty good all year, and, and Xander Bogarts, really, kind of flying under the radar here, is, has, uh, has been doing pretty well with the bat as well. So I think we're starting to see, as you said, we're starting to see the team that kind of resembled last year. Um, they just have to put it together consistently here. Yeah, this is who they are. And, and you know, I think it's, very, it's been a very consistent message from Alex Cora and, yep. and from the players that... We know what we have here. We know that we're talented. It's just going to take a little time for it to come out. Uh, as we've talked about before on the podcast, it was sort of a very laissez-faire spring training. They, mm. they didn't really apply themselves very much. Uh, I've said before, I don't think it's a coincidence that the starting pitching has really gotten on turn maybe the third or fourth time through. Uh, I think maybe they weren't necessarily worked hard enough in yep. Fort Myers. The regulars didn't really play a lot in spring training and and I know that regulars are in shape throughout the year now and they don't necessarily play a lot in spring training to begin with 
But when you have a slow start on that terrible West Coast road trip, yeah. I think it gets magnified a little bit. People might look for root causes, and, and they might assign some blame to a lighter workload in February and, and in March. But I think what you're seeing now is a, a pretty functional lineup, uh, a lineup that's generating chances. And you know, starting rotation fronted by David Price, Eduardo Rodriguez, and, and now Rick Porcello with a couple decent outings in a row, it's very important that you're able to sort of turn game into game into game and really give yourselves a chance to win. Well, I think all eyes, speaking of the rotation, all eyes are going to be on Chris Sale here when he when he takes the ball next because, as we know, he's been scuffling. He really hasn't been himself. He's kind of shown flashes here where his velocity's been been back but hasn't really had the command that, that, that we expect out of Chris Sale. Mm-hmm. And you can certainly tell he's been really frustrated by it personally with some of his post-game comments. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so, scuffling and self-loathing. Yeah, that's right. That's yeah. right. Uh, so I think uh, it'll be it'll be really interesting interesting to see how he does his next time out because I think you're right in terms of the rest of the rotation it's kind of coming around. Porcello had a good a good outing last night. Uh, Eduardo Rodriguez looked good on Wednesday. Price has been pretty good. Um, yeah, but yeah, we're all kind of waiting for the ace to sort of act like the ace. Yeah, he's uh, his next start will be I think Sunday. Sunday, they, yeah. they pushed him to. Uh, they still haven't announced a starter for Friday night. Uh, kind of waiting on Mother Nature too. They're they're expecting rain to be a factor there, mm-hmm. uh, so they've pushed Price back a, a day to Saturday and Sale an extra day to, to Sunday. And I know those guys won't mind that. Uh, you know, they were in a stretch here without the rain without any postponements where they were going to play 20 games in 20 days right. um you know so i would assume that you know if there's a couple drops that uh the grounds crew might leave the tarp off the infield perhaps <laughs> uh there might be a little skullduggery there uh-huh. uh, that's not a shot at dave miller and, and his crew they do a wonderful job right, right um they wouldn't do that they're professionals but if this were bull durham of course you might say that uh you know the tarp suddenly went missing sure uh, and the red sox needed a rain out i i just think though that you know with this rotation i think we saw what they could do last year and, and the sum of their parts is formidable when they're going right mm. uh you know, even at this point when they're missing a key piece in nathan Avaldi, which uh, we should talk about that's a development from last time yeah so he's had uh surgery to remove some loose bodies whatever that is generally uh, a bone chip yeah. or, or some scar tissue uh, sort of floating around in his elbow there, and uh, the Red Sox are saying he should be back to pitching in about six weeks, and we're not quite sure what that means. I mean, does that mean he begins a rehab or just starts throwing again? Does, I don't think it means he's, he, he takes his next start in the rotation in six weeks. Uh, he had a similar procedure last year with Tampa. Mm. Um, had it done in March, late March, was on the mound in late May, uh, actually made a start within eight weeks. Okay. And, and he said at the time he felt like he could have come back sooner but he was also coming off his second Tommy John surgery, right. and they wanted to be a little cautious with him. Um, you know, this time with his contract future secure, yeah. uh, with the fact that he's going to be with the Red Sox for the next four years, I, I think that could factor into the decision. You could see him try to get back a little sooner. Uh, he's a very fit guy, a very hard worker. Uh, arthroscopic surgery being what it is in the year 2019, it's when they say minimally invasive, it is minimally invasive. Uh, you know, you could go out and stick yourself with a needle or, or you know, with, with some kind of, you know, drill bit, and it, and it might hurt more than you know, what these doctors <laughs> yeah. are going to do to you. Um, the other thing that I, I think you need to say about this is that when you have Tommy John surgery and it's something so extensive, having a bone chip or some scar tissue. 
that's a very common occurrence. Mm-hmm. And, and a lot of times, guys will have a cleanup in the offseason. You won't even know about it, or the team will send out a release and say, you know, so-and-so pitcher had minor elbow arthroscopy to clean up yep. a loose body. That's something that he's going to have to deal with throughout the balance of his career. I, I'm sure that the Red Sox, much like with Sale, had full medical information before they signed him to the deal. I'm sure that they have faith that this is going to be somewhat an isolated incident. And, you know, I expect Evaldi to be back probably by, you know, I would say June, mm. somewhere around there, early June, uh, I think would be a spot for him. And we'll see what they do with that fifth rotation spot going forward. Yeah. Well, the sooner the better. Uh, and But as we said a few times now on the, on the podcast this season, there's nobody exactly running away with the American League East. Mm. And the, the, uh, the Yankees are... My God! Every time you uh, every time you turn around, somebody else is going on the injured list, and the latest is uh, is uh, Frazier. Um, Clint Frazier, yeah, um, ankle injury, and Aaron know, Judge, you yeah, know, with I an mean, oblique injury. It's ridiculous. I, I think I think the number is over a dozen people on the IL now. It's him. over a dozen, and and it's multiple yeah. regulars. If you look at their starting lineup compared to their starting lineup last year in the division series against the Red Sox, it's unrecognizable. Yeah. It yeah. really is. Well, that's certainly helpful to the Red Sox. And, and again, um, you know, Red Sox only have won 11 games. The Yankees have won 14 games. And Tampa Bay's sort of leading the division with 16 wins. And you've got Tampa coming in this weekend. So you certainly have a chance here to kind of right the ship and, and get get back in, into the standings where you expect to be. Um, but I wanted to, to ask you uh, uh, about Alex Cora during this uh you know, during these first few weeks. Sure. This is not something that Cora's really had to deal with much here. I mean, last year, you know, they I remember the big disappointment because they lost on opening day in, <laughs> right. in dramatic fashion. Yeah, that's and right. And then they went on to win a whole bunch and started at 17-2 and two and obviously never turned back. And so he's never really had to deal with, you know, extended uh, slumps and losing streaks and, um, you know, people questioning you know how good is the team because last year they just just won and kept winning and kept winning and uh, so how's he been? What's what's his mood been like? His his dealings with the media? Um, I'm sure it's been frustrating for him. I, I think you make a very good observation uh, there in the fact that it's only his second year as a manager mm-hmm. and he hasn't really dealt with something like this. Uh, you know, you start off two and eight when you have pretty much the same team back from the World Champs the year yeah. before, uh, a team that. You know, let's be honest, they laid waste to the rest of Major League Baseball, right. uh, winning 108 games, steamrolling through the postseason. Um, <laughs> the the phrase at the time last year was Cora Magic. It seemed like everything he did yeah, he couldn't turned do, to gold. Could do no wrong. You know, he'd pinch hit, the guy would get a hit. He gave a guy a day off, the, the you know, the reserve would go three for four. Uh, you know, he brought a guy out of the bullpen who you might have thought, eh, I don't really know here, and he'd throw a scoreless inning or two innings. Uh, guy hits it, for the cycle and he benches on the next game. And he benches him. <laughs> you know, I mean, Brock Holt in the division series, yeah. it, it, you know, it was unbelievable how many times that happened. They were on a great run of fortune. It was an extremely talented team that just clicked on all cylinders. And, you know, let's be honest. You're not going to be able to do that without a good leader. You you saw, with the exception of maybe J.D. Martinez, bringing him in obviously changed the lineup. Uh, but there were a lot of the same pieces from 2017 uh, and really from 2016. Both of those teams went out of the postseason very limply. Yeah, um, yep. you know they were one and six. Yeah, they won one game and and uh, and really never threatened. You know, Cleveland <laughs> yeah. Cleveland dismissed them and Houston dismissed yeah. them and and they weren't really close in either series. Right. Um, so Cora's influence on this roster 
it can't be understated. Um, I think what he's done a really good job of so far is just being consistent. Right. Uh, someone asked him about this on Thursday. They said, you know, Alex, have you had any sort of change in, in your messaging to the team or any change uh, in your personality or your mood? And, you know, his response, as usual, I, I thought was a genuine one. He said, I'm a positive person because that's who I am. Right. Generally, I'm, I'm generally someone who sees the silver lining and sees the positives in things and, you know, tries to, to think that I can work my way out of struggles and, and out of jams and out of tough spots. And I think that's a lot of the reason why he was able to survive so long as a player, as a utility guy. Mm-hmm. He's in the majors for 14 years, right. a, a guy who, you know, wasn't really an everyday player outside of maybe his first two or three seasons with the Dodgers. And to be fair, you know, the Dodgers weren't what they are now yeah. at that point. No. Uh, they weren't an annual contender for, for championships. Um, so I think his playing experience has, has shaped him a lot. And I think the players on his roster will take comfort in the fact that their leader is so consistent and so even-handed. Um, you know, that's baseball being the day-in, day-out, six-month exercise that it is. You constantly hear the players talking about trying to be consistent, trying to avoid peaks and valleys and, and extremes, and just sort of staying the course throughout the year. And I think the manager has to do that as well. Um, you know, Cora also he he, he told the story about last season. Uh, they had a tough road trip. I think it was, I want to say it was Toronto, Seattle, or Baltimore, Seattle, and Minnesota. It was three time zones, mm. three city trip. Seattle, they lost a the game one nothing. I think Wade LeBlanc actually threw a shutout at them. Wow. Uh, and then in Minnesota, they lost a couple games where they scored a total of three runs in in two games. Mm-hmm. And you know, Cora at the time, he was thinking to himself, "We look a little flat. We don't really have a lot of energy." And Ron Renicky, his bench coach, who's been around for longer than Alex, said, "You know what gives the team energy? Scoring some runs." <laughs> so we'll look a lot better if we start scoring some runs. That's right. Um, you look at the day night doubleheader with Detroit. Struggled in the first game with Matthew Boyd. Second game, they left the small village on the bases. Right. And you would say, geez, this is the worst day of the season. What happens the next night? They score 11, which right. is a season high. You know, last night they they win 7-3 to three in a game that, you know, let's be honest, they just outclassed the Tigers. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and, and Cora said before that one, you know, I thought about getting thrown out the other day because I thought maybe it would spark the team. He said, and then I thought better of it and said, why am I going to get thrown out? Yeah, I'm going to have to pay the fine. My players aren't going to pay the fine for me. Right. Um, but what's that really going to accomplish? You know, I'm going to get thrown out. I'm going to freak out, and the guys are going to look at me and say, "Geez, Skip, you know, like <laughs> where did that come from?" Well, that's from? just that? it, though. It, you know, it's so out of character for him that people, you know, the guys would know that he's kind of acting here. He's putting on a show because, as you said, he's very he's very consistent. He's very positive, and for him to, you know, uh, the old cliche is to flip over the spread, right? To, Start throwing tables and chairs around. I mean, you know, most most players would see right through that and say, "Well, that's not really him. He's putting on a show to try and get a spark." And you know, um, I'm not sure it's going to accomplish anything. That's Earl Weaver. That's <laughs> right. that's Lou Pinella. That's Billy, Billy Martin. Martin. Yeah. Um, you know, that might be Jim Leland from time to time. He right. could be caustic and, yeah. and a little aggressive. That's not who Alex Cora is. I, I think his players would see through that. I, I think last year, a lot of the way they performed uh, was down to the fact that they were refreshed mm. by his attitude, that, that he sort of brought some air to a clubhouse that had gotten a little stuffy yeah. and, and a little... 
congested and a little tight. Yeah, you know, it, was, it, it wasn't having, a great mood in there. No, having come off those two previous postseasons, as you talked about, you know, um, everybody was sort of just waiting for the Red Sox to fail again, right? You know, you know, and he's he's sort of given them confidence, and and I think that's really, you know, his messaging, his consistency. I, I think that's really important going forward. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, if you're a Red Sox fan, hopefully um, this is the bend. They've they've come around the bend here, and yeah, and that they're starting to look more like the team uh, from last season. Um, and, you know, fortunately, again, nobody's really running away with the East, so they're cer- certainly still in the thick of things here. Uh, another thing I wanted to ask you about um, is we have seen the emergence here of Michael Chavis, mm. who uh, I'm not sure many people were expecting would make an impact this soon, but he is uh, he's doing pretty well. He's playing second base, where they clearly have a hole right now, mm-hmm. uh, and he has uh, he's impressed with the bat, with the, with the power numbers, certainly. Um, what do you think? Do you think he's? Uh, you think he'll be up there to, to stay? I think this is one of those things where he's sort of on a wave right now, and you need to ride it for as long as sure. you can. Um, well, plus you don't have any really super healthy second baseman anyway, so it's not. And, there's no one there pushing him out. And to his credit, he has taken full advantage of an opportunity here. Uh, you know, as Cora said, he was drafted as a shortstop, Chavis. Right. Um, you know, so that generally means that you should be able to play. The other positions in the infield, you're you're athletic enough, you're a good enough defender. Um, you know, Carr also made a good point about he thinks the most important thing that middle infielders can do is turn double plays. Mm-hmm. You know, can you consistently get two outs on a ground ball? Right. Um, and when he played in the '90s and, and in the 2000s, the rules were so different that as a second baseman, your instincts had to be different. Right. Guys are coming in, cleats up, barreling over and through the bag. Yep. You were an endangered species out there. Sure. Um, the rules being what they are now, you have to slide to the bag and not through it. So you can take someone who's a little more inexperienced, mm-hmm. put him at second base, and not worry about his physical well-being. Right. They have a little bit more of a buffer zone these days. Uh, much more. And, yeah. and that's going to allow someone like Chavis, who is inexperienced at the position, maybe to settle in a little quicker. Yep. Um, with yeah. the bat, you can't deny the power being what it is. Um, you know, guy who hit his first career home run the other night out on the Lansdowne Street. Yeah, it was a bomb. It was a, a change-up by Victor Alcantara that he left out over the plate, landed 441 feet later. <laughs> um, you know, Last night he homered again. It was a two-run homer in the second, and it was a, a slider out over the plate from Jordan Zimmerman that he didn't really get all of yeah. and, and still hit it up in the light tower. Right. Um, the other thing about Chavis is uh, you know my limited dealings with him. He's a very enthusiastic kid yeah that's what he is he's 24 years old right this is all brand new to him uh and he's about as wide-eyed and and puppy dogged as, <laughs> as you could imagine right um you know it's almost like if he had a tail it would be wagging all over the clubhouse every day he's dustin pedroia from you know 2006 or 7 whenever yeah. he came up yeah you know that's that's the comparison uh, yeah. you know Cora was asked about that the other night and he said that pedroia was even more enthusiastic at the time yeah um you know and i think pedroia at the time and and throughout his career, this has served him well. He had less physical measurables than Chavis. Mm. He was a smaller guy, yeah. didn't have as much natural power. Um, you know, this is a guy who could hit. You could see it. His ceiling could hit twenty five, thirty home runs sure. in the big leagues. Um, you know, especially playing at Fenway. He pulls a few fly balls. He's got a little bit of a natural uppercut in his yeah. swing. Um, you could see him doing some damage there. And I, I think that with. Pedroia and his left knee ailing. Eduardo Nunez has a back strain. 
Brock Holt still struggling with his right eye, the scratch cornea. I think he's going to go on a rehab assignment this weekend. He's probably the closest of the group to getting back. Right. But I think if, if you're the Red Sox, you probably need to ride this for a little bit and, and see what the kid can give you until he hits the wall, if he does. Well, I got to tell you, one thing that, that uh, I would be excited about if you're, if, uh, if you're a Red Sox fan is the prospect of having an infield with uh, Xander Bogarts, Michael Chavis, and Raphael Devers yes. for the foreseeable future. Yes. And then you would figure out whatever position is left out there. I mean, is it third? Is it first? You know, whatever. Is it second? Is it but, second? Right. Uh, but, you know, three young guys that you have control over now, especially with the, you know, in the, in the, in the light of the, uh, the Bogart signing, you now have control of these guys for many years going forward. Yes. You know, all of these guys have uh, have proven themselves. Even Chavis, in his short time, have proven themselves at the plate. Uh, they can hit with power. Um, so the prospect of having that infield uh, with the outfield that you that you have. Um, yeah. Well, we don't know what's going to happen with Mookie Betts, but um, we still have a couple of years. Yeah. For that. Yeah. I mean, it really should, I think, um, bring a lot of excitement to Red Sox fans because you know this is almost an All Star team. Yeah, no, it's really? an, it's it's an excellent point by you. That infield group that you just named, uh, Xander Bogarts is the oldest of those three players. He's twenty six, right? And he's going to be around for a while. And you know, he signs a six year extension. He could be here until he's thirty three. Yeah, um, which is squarely through the middle of his prime. Uh, Mookie Betts is twenty six. Andrew Benintendi is twenty four. Mm. Um, you know, Michael Chavis is twenty three. Raphael Devers is twenty two. This team is loaded yeah. with young, regular position players right. who are going to be under team control for a little while going forward. Uh, you know, and I think it's really important right now with their system being as thin as it is. If you're able to develop a couple guys and, and get them to stick, it's almost a little bit of a bonus. Those are two or three, maybe less guys who you need to make a trade for, or go into free agency for, and sure. that's going to help them when they need to re-sign a Mookie Betts or if J.D. Martinez opts out. Let's say you have, and we talked about this preseason, my theory was that Chavis eventually was going to play first base yeah. for this team. Steve Pierce and, and Mitch Moreland, if you decide to let them both walk, you're saving about $13 million mm-hmm. next year. Um, their salary is about thirteen. Chavis would make you know, somewhere in the neighborhood of five, six 600000 Yeah, That gives you $12 million. To play with, right. whether it's to sign a reliever or to kick forward to the Mookie Betts fund. Yeah. Um, it's so important to bring guys like that up, whether it's position players or relievers. A guy like Matt Barnes makes no money. Ryan Brazier makes no money. Right. Those are two guys at the back end of your bullpen. Craig Kimbrell, you'd have to pay $16, $17 million to. That's sure. at least what he wanted. Uh, so you're saving... You know, millions in that spot as well that that you used to sign Nathan Avaldi or extend Xander Bogarts or eventually sign Mookie Betts. Uh, so it's really important, and it also buys their system some time. They feel like they have some guys at A ball. Right, at it's going to be a while for they for them to get up there. Sure. They're two or three years away. Right. But right. if you're able to bring guys like Chavis or Travis Lakins or Darwin's and Hernandez through mm-hmm. in the interim, it buys you a little bit of time. 
added to the guys, the veterans who you already have locked up under contract. Well, I don't want to use the word lucky because then that sort of discounts uh, whatever skill went into the scouting. But I'll, I'll just use the word fortunate. How's that? That the Red Sox have been able to bring up players like uh, Devers and now Chavis. Hmm. Because well, what we've been hearing for the last few years since Dombrowski got to Boston was, well, they, they've emptied out the farm system. But yet you're still bringing these guys up who are having you know pretty much immediate impacts on the big league club. And as you said, you've got a bunch of young players that you've that you've got control of for a while. You don't need to you don't need to fill a whole lot of holes here. Right. You know if you if you can hit on one or two, uh, you're doing pretty good because you know you've got Xander Bogarts for a while and you've got um, Shavis and Devers for a while. So. Um, you know, it, there may not be a whole lot to see in Pawtucket for the next year or two if all these guys are coming up. But uh, as you said, in the lower in the lower reaches of the minors, uh, there may be guys who who will now have a little bit more time to develop. Yeah, and I think you're, out of the guys that that we've been talking about here, Betts has already won an MVP. Right. Bogarts and, and Ben Intendi, you figure that they're going to make an All Star team at some point. Right. In their careers, um, you, you figure that Devers at 22. Still has a long way to go in terms of his development, particularly with the glove. Um, you know, but with the bat, the the jump that he's made in terms of on base percentage this year, he's getting on base right now at three seventy. Yeah, three seventy clip. Yeah. Um, you know, for a guy who traditionally has been a little bit of a free swinger, uh, for him to take walks like this shows development at the plate. Uh, shows. A better batting eye, someone who's going to be able to zero in on pitches that he can drive. That means his power production is going to go up. It's going to be more home runs, more doubles. Right. Um, when you see a young hitter with that kind of discipline, it's something that Ben Intendi has mm. and has had right. since he's come up. That's going to make them more successful. And and this lineup will just continue to turn over and, and be productive. And that's with the rotation locked up the way it is. It's going mm. to give you a chance to win a lot of games. Uh, well, you, you you bring up the rotation, and I, and I forgot that I wanted to ask about um, Dustin Pedroia as a pitching coach. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so uh, he's credited with helping uh, Eduardo Rodriguez with his uh, with his grip on one of his pitches. Although I, I guess he didn't want to take a whole lot of credit for it. What what happened there? It was a, a very unexpected development uh, Wednesday night. Rodriguez had a good start, uh, second in as many home starts this year. Uh, threw the ball very well through six innings, only gave up two hits and, and one run. Uh, you know, and afterwards, he, he was talking about his slider, which is a pitch that it's, it's definitely his fourth pitch out of four. Uh, you know, the fastball and the changeup are, are the two meal tickets that he has. Uh, the cut fastball is something that he's developed over time. Uh, but the slider was a pitch that he threw 16 times the other night. It was about 18% of his pitches the other night. The previous year, in, in 2018, uh, he threw it less than half that much. Right. Uh, so you're wondering, and, and you say, you know, Eduardo, it looked like you know your slider was a pretty good pitch for you tonight. And he proceeds to say that Pedroia <laughs> gave him a grip adjustment within 48 hours. <laughs> Rodriguez threw it in his bullpen session that day, thought it felt pretty good, took it into the game with him and threw it there. So where does Pedroia get a grip, uh, a slider grip from? I mean, Or how does he know about this? Apparently in his little league or, or Babe Ruth days or whatever it might have been. When um, he was a pitcher. When he was a pitcher because he probably had one of the stronger arms sure. on the team. They turn him loose out there and he, he says to Rodriguez, hey bro, you want to throw a nasty breaking ball? And Rodriguez says, yeah, it's my worst pitch. Yeah. You know, what, do you, what do you got? And Pedroia says, hold it like this and do this. 
<laughs> Rodriguez gets in the bullpen and, and it works. Wow. Yeah, now we're all standing there, the, the Boston Media Corps, who is rarely surprised by anything. Yeah. We're all looking at each other like, is he trolling us? Is he being serious <laughs> right, here? Right, Are we right. being played? You know, what's going on here? Yeah. This this seems a bit ridiculous. Uh, Alex Cora, the day after, uh, claimed no knowledge of, of anything like this. He said Pedroia wasn't talking. That's fine. Um, you know, but interesting side note, and, and it does get into, um, you know, Cora's maybe, Cora's attention to the game and Pedroia's attention to the game. Yeah. Uh, in 2016, Pedroia had faced, you know, David Price as an opponent. Mm-hmm. Who knows how many times from Price's time with the Rays and right. Pedroia's time with the Sox, mm-hmm. uh, you know Price then going to Toronto and, and Detroit. He's been a career American League guy. Right. Pedroia had faced him uh, dozens of times at the plate, and he noticed something different in Price's delivery regarding his hand position and, and his hand movement in the windup. Uh, and Price went into the bullpen, made a couple adjustments with his hand position and, and his movement, and said he felt a lot better at that point. He, he said uh, he was a little disappointed that he didn't pick up on it himself uh, because, obviously, he knows his mechanics sure. and what's made him successful. But he was very thankful that Pedroia was paying that much attention to what was going on while he was watching video. Mm. Um, you know, and, and that's something that Cora has preached pretty consistently uh, it's who he was as a player and now as a manager attention to detail Mm. pay attention to the small things whether it's getting a good jump on the bases or you know maybe knowing what a pitcher is going to throw in a certain spot um you know or maybe defensively positioning yourself in in a spot based on the hitter Mm. Uh, and i think that he really appreciates players like pedroia or anyone else in the clubhouse going up to a teammate and saying hey i noticed this about you maybe you want to try this um he feels like that is unselfish and is going to make the team better. Uh, and if you have that sort of free communication in the clubhouse, that sort of ethic there where guys are working not just on themselves but for the betterment of the team, I think that's nothing but a positive sign for the group. Absolutely. And certainly I'm sure Pedroia is frustrated not not playing right now. Um, but, you know, it's good to, good to see that he can contribute in some way. And, hey, helping the pitching staff is no small thing. No question. Um, so uh, before we wrap up this edition of the Twin Bills, uh, I wanted to ask about today's weather, which doesn't look good you know, up in <laughs> no. up in Boston and down here in Providence. Uh, so what do you think they're going to do pitching wise? Uh, are they going to? Do you think they're going to? First of all, do you think they're going to get the game started? And, and who's going to pitch? I don't think they're going to play the game. Okay, um, you well, know, that would make things a lot simpler. Yeah, I, right. I think I think the Red Sox had this in mind when they pushed back the starters. Yeah. I, I think, uh, but but Cora hasn't announced the starter, and this is probably why right? has not and, and did not, and you know is not going to put one of his veteran guys out there for two innings and essentially lose. Well, him that's for four yeah. days, and that, that's, that's that's the drawback. Yeah. Can't happen. Right. Um, you know, so you have a couple candidates there, whether it be Travis Lakins, who, who they brought up. Yep. Uh, the other night, who you can throw multiple innings, you you would think that he could probably give them, you know, maybe three or four innings in a start. Um, you could see Marcus Walden, uh, someone who has been used right. a little bit in short relief here, uh, but someone who's probably still stretched out enough to maybe give you two or three innings. See, this is where you really miss the miss like a Stephen Wright or or a Brian, Brian Johnson, Johnson, right? I right. Mean, you don't have these guys who you can sort of say, "Hey, I can use these as a, these guys as a stopgap." If if uh, the game gets called, I still have all my starters on the shelf. You've you know? already got Hector Velasquez in the rotation right. for Evaldi, so you, you're missing him as well. He would have been an option here. Yeah, 
too. Right. Um, you know, your starters at the affiliates tonight. Josh Smith is, is scheduled to start for Pawtucket. Uh, they'll probably get rained out there at uh, in Rochester. In I Rochester. Yeah. You you would think that you know the weather there isn't going to be great either. Yeah. Uh, Denny Reyes is supposed to start for Portland. He he's had a rough go of it here in April, uh, but a guy who, according to SoxProspects.com, is a top 20 guy in the organization. He's on the 40-man roster, so you wouldn't necessarily need to you know, really shake it up that much. You, right. You'd fake DL someone or you know, option Zhu Wei Lin, something like that. Right. Um, you know, but I, I think that they're planning on this one being rained out and, mm. and you know, just sort of going forward. Uh, they're the Rays, they're a divisional opponent. Whether you have mutual off days or you want to play a doubleheader at some point, they are going to come back to Fenway two more times. Um, you know, so not really great urgency to right, get the game right. in. This, this isn't like, it's not if like the, the Giants Tigers, or the Dodgers right. were here, you know, and it's a sure. National League team and you don't have another time where they're going to come right. here. You might not have a mutual off day. Right. Something yeah. like that. Yeah, I, so I think you, they would be content with not playing. Probably not a bad, uh, probably not a bad call considering uh, considering the the, uh, the stretch they're in here. So, Bill, uh, let's hope that the next time we do this, which will probably be the end of next week, that the Red Sox have crossed the magical 500 mark. Um, you know, which you know they can do if they go on a little bit of a tear here, mm-hmm. uh, and then maybe uh, they could hit uh, you know uh, middle late May and June. Uh, back where we expect them to be. I mean, my preseason, preseason prediction was they they were going to win 100 games, so they better get going. You said 100 games? I said 100 games and lose the division to the Yankees. Wow. Yeah, so so far I'm, I'm looking like I'm going to be 0 for 2 there. Well, to be fair, the Yankees won 100 games last year. And, and lost. And finished eight they games They weren't even behind. close. They weren't right. close. <laughs> so I'm thinking, well, I think the Red Sox can probably get to 100 games this year, but look, look at the Yankees. I, I bet they're going to win a couple more. Yeah, but, the, uh, the division was clinched with... I want to say 10 or 11 days left. I think it was September 20th. Yeah. Uh, when you're a 100-win team, you're not necessarily thinking of getting clinched on on September 20th. No. Well, you know, here we are, uh, you know, April 26th, and they have a whopping, uh, what, 11 wins? Well, and this is why we talk about, you know, yeah, it's early, and, and you're off to a bad start or whatever, but you're constantly running uphill at this point. You know, yeah. you, you've won five out of seven, and you're still four games under five. Well, sure, because you, you got out of the gate so, uh, you know, so crappy. Yeah, I mean, you were two and eight. Um, you know, and, and, and it's why, you know, these guys are talking about, yes, it, it takes a long time, but we need to start playing better. Because sure. if this goes into May or, or into June, and you're still hovering around 500, how are you going to get to 20 or 22 or 25 over to the point where you're going to be a cinch for the playoffs and you can worry about October? Right. So we'll see where we are a week from now. Um, Bill, for your sake, I hope they do rain it out so you get a, a nice little break here before uh, before the next, uh, what, five or six games in a row? Well, unless they decide to play a day-night doubleheader on Saturday, that makes for a long... <laughs> you weren't happy with that, I could tell. Well, it's, you know, it's tough when they do it during the week because the commute from here is, is sure. very difficult. Yeah. Uh, you know, I left my house... I think that was that was Tuesday, right? Tuesday. I left my house at seven fifteen in the morning. I didn't get to Fenway until ten a.m. Yeah, uh, and that was parking at the Prudential Center, taking a cab to right. the game. Yeah, um, you know, it's just really difficult to right. get there. Uh, what people don't necessarily realize, I think, maybe, and I'll you know peel back the curtain about covering baseball, is the clubhouse opens at three for a seven o'clock game. Alex Cora talks at four. The game is played. You write your story. You transcribe your quotes and you leave. Mm-hmm. I'm driving against the traffic. It's a one o'clock. Right. You know, I leave my house at one. Everyone's leaving the city. Right. I'm going in. 
Mm-hmm. I come home at you know twelve thirty one a.m. No one's on the road. Yeah, it's perfect. Right. You avoid the morning rush and the afternoon rush. Uh, you know when you have sort of a conventional game time. A day game, a getaway at one o'clock. Yeah, you're driving up there with everybody else, and it's no fun. And in Boston, being what it is, not New York, the trains don't run 24 hours right. a day. If that right. were the case, I would gladly take the commuter rail or take the Green Line in from Riverside right. Right. Uh, and not have to drive all the way in. Um, but that's not really an option yeah. because what if the night game goes 13 or 14 innings? Which is certainly possible. With certainly the Red possible. Sox. Yeah. You know, then I'm not out of there and I miss my train. Right, but right. you know, those are complaints of a baseball writer. Those are strictly first world problems. <laughs> that's right. That's, right. Uh, that's 90 seconds of whining that I'm sure the folks could have done without. And <laughs> yeah. I promise not to do it again. Well, but you you got to enjoy that great uh, press box food though. Every once in a while. <laughs> the other night they did have pizza, which was enjoyable. Uh, last night, though, I have to say, uh, Aramark and, and the Fenway chefs brought in some. Braised macaroni and cheese. Braised right? short rib macaroni and cheese. Now, was this in the dining area, the this cafeteria dining area? In the dining okay. area. Oh, that nice. was that was delightful. Oh, okay. I have nice. to say. <laughs> Maybe they were making up for forcing you guys to go up there so early the previous uh, on Tuesday. There could have been. It, it was <laughs> and it was appreciated for sure. <laughs> All right. And with with that, we will wrap up this week's twin bills. Uh, Bill, fun as always. Yeah. Thanks, Bill. All right.